And then outside of that, the biggest one that I think we're just not talking enough about is that as estrogen drops, you become more insulin resistant, which is why I feel like women over 40 really need to know how to fast. Hi friends, in today's episode, we're going to be talking all about fasting and specifically how to fast like a girl, because the rules are different for men and women. And if we really want to optimize the health of our hormones, as well as our longevity alongside our energy, we need to understand how to do it as a woman. And there's no one better to help you do this than my guest today, Dr. Mindy Peltz. Dr. Mindy is a renowned holistic health expert, and she's a second-time guest on the show. She's one of the leading voices in educating women about their bodies. She's on a mission to start a women's health revolution. She knows everything about how to fast like a girl. So without further delay, let me introduce you now to the wonderful Dr. Mindy Pelz. So Dr. Mindy, I am so excited to have you back on the show. I've been really, really looking forward to this. I love your new book, Fast Like a Girl. It's been so needed. A very warm welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me here. And thank you for that intro. I've been uh, blown away at how the world has received this book. And I, I agree. It was really, it was a conversation that was needed. And I just love that women are stepping into it and using it and talking about it. So yeah, thank you for those kind words. Oh, it's amazing. I think so many women, after everything you do on YouTube and all your channels, they've been waiting for this book. And I have to say, it's brilliant. Just all the little like protocols that you have at the back for questions. And and I want to dive into those with you in a moment around, you know, different kind of autoimmune conditions and things like that. But let's start at the top with, can you explain for listeners, what are the different phases of fasting and the benefits of each when we go from kind of 12 hours to 24 and, and upwards? Yeah, I think what what isn't being discussed in the fasting world is that why fasting works is it you're tapping into a whole nother energy system, a whole nother metabolism. And we I can't believe that we've gone this long in human existence without this conversation. Mm -hmm. But when we like for years, I would have women that would come into my office and they would say, oh, my metabolism is slow. Well, what does that really mean? And when I started to dive into the research, I realized that when you go without food, you're tapping into a fat burning metabolism that you cannot tap into when you're eating food. And the longer you stay in that fat burner metabolism, the more healing happens. So in the book, I laid out six different levels of uh, time levels of fasting that will contribute to healing. and And it ranges everything from 12 to 15 hours, which is our intermittent fasting. That's what most people know is intermittent fasting, where we see growth hormone go up. We see inflammation come down. We see some ketones start to be made. And in that phase, we, with ketones, it's going to repair the brain. It's going to kill the hunger hormone. Growth hormone is going to start to bring, you know, slow down the aging process, help you burn fat. And everybody benefits from lower inflammation. But the longer you stay there, so you go into 17 hours of fasting, now you're stimulating autophagy where the the cells are cleaning themselves up. 24 hours, you're resetting the whole gut. So I found this one clinically to be so helpful for women who had been on birth control for many years, for my patients who had SIBO, which is uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth 
leaky gut syndrome, a lot of the gut challenges that affect people today. If I threw a 24 hour fast at them, I started to see their guts repair. 36 hours became my fast for the stubborn weight loss. The people in my clinic that just couldn't lose weight, no matter what I had them do, if I threw a 36-hour fast at it, we saw that all of a sudden they it un, unstuck their weight loss uh, efforts. 48 hours, based off research and what we've seen clinically, will reset your whole dopamine system, help improve moods, and then 72 hours of fasting really resets the whole immune system. So the longer you stay in that fasted state, the more healing happens. And that's what I tried to lay out in the in Fast Like a Girl is here's the science, here's the application. Now you apply it to your hormonal needs. Detoxification is so important now more than ever with the number of toxins we are exposed to daily in our food, water, personal care products and environment. No matter how careful we are, it's impossible to totally get away from the chemicals. And we also have to think about detoxifying the toxins we produce through cellular respiration and clearing excess hormones like estrogen. Our skin is one of the key ways we detoxify, and that's why I love to include sauna as part of my weekly routine. But going to a facility with a sauna can be time-consuming, and investing in one yourself has been expensive in the past. That's why I love Bond Charge's sauna blanket. It has so many benefits from raising your heart rate to that of physical exercise, so you burn calories whilst you relax. You can burn up to 600 calories in just one session. The sweating helps flush out heavy metals and other toxins, and the infrared light, which heats the body directly rather than the air around you, meaning you get the same benefits at a lower heat. Bond Charge's sauna blanket is easy to set up, taking less than a minute. It heats up rapidly and you can enjoy a session for 30 to 40 minutes whilst relaxing, reading, watching TV or even meditating. So you can truly stack your hacks. Bond Charge's sauna blanket is also low EMF compared to other brands on the market and it's the quickest on the market to heat up. So it's an easy thing to fit in. When I'm not working out in the morning, you'll find me meditating in my Bond Charge sauna blanket with their red light therapy mask on my face, boosting collagen while I relax. And Bond Charge are giving listeners of this podcast 20% off their sauna blankets, red light therapy devices and other wellness products. Bond Charge ship worldwide in rapid time with free shipping on every sauna blanket and 12 months warranty. Simply go to bondcharge.com forward slash Angela and enter code Angela20 at checkout. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E dot com forward slash A-N-G-E-L-A and use code Angela20 to save yourself 20%. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. I love the way you've done that. And I want to dive into kind of each of those. When we look at the gut health side of things and you say that within 24 hours, the gut can start to repair. People that are listening to this who have you know, things like bloating, SIBO, maybe they've got, you know, they oscillate between kind of needing the loo desperately, then being really constipated. What can they expect? And how would they approach it from a gut health perspective? How often would they need to do it? And would they just do it for that 24 hour window? Yeah, you know, clinically, what I did is I would throw every once in a while, I'd throw a 24 hour fast. So um, I would say anywhere from every once every couple of weeks to once a month, depending on how severe the gut problem was. Now, if somebody had an autoimmune condition or they had SIBO, SIBO especially, because there's no supplement out there 
that any functional medicine doctor will tell you is like the tried and true SIBO supplement. But what we've seen is that if you throw a 24-hour fast, you're killing the bacteria that is in the small intestine. And so when you reintroduce food, there's less there to agitate for, for bloating. So I to answer your question, it really depends on the severity of your gut condition. Uh, once a week is great um, or once a month, but it really depends if you're preventing or you're trying to fix a gut problem. And you talk later in the book, actually, about the use of probiotics, prebiotics, polyphenols, uh, which are really helpful as well that we can come on to Um, with. uh, Let's look at the menstrual cycle, because you do this really, really well. The hormonal stages before we move into kind of perimenopause and all the disruption. Um, Can you talk us through those stages? Because I found it. I I loved it. The way the manifestation stage, the power phase. Can you. you can you talk us through those? Yeah. So for starters, think, uh, you know, I I wanted to name them. In it, and so that women understood what they represent. Because when I first started learning hormones, I was like follicular, luteal, like it's just confusing. Every woman knows ovulation, but they don't, the, you know, the, the names are too technical. So I, I, and I also like to make everything fun. So I was like, mm. okay, well, the power phase is when our hormones typically are at their lowest and specifically the first power phase is day one to day 10. And that's when you go from a low hormone place to estrogen building. The reason I call it the power phase is because I wanted women to understand that is the time to power up on anything. It's You can power up on fasting, you can power up on workouts, you can get away with less sleep, like you are powerful during that time. Mm -hmm. Like estrogen is very much an extroverted hormone. So she she's going to be the life of the party. She's going to be the one that's like, yes, let's go for a 10 mile run. Yes, let's do a three day fast. She doesn't care if cortisol goes high. And so that first 10 days of our cycle is when we can lean into some of these uh, health health habits that we've accumulated over the years that we know keep our weight where we want it, keep our mind where we want it. You can go into those extreme behaviors day one through day 10. You know, I love that phase. Can I say like my HRV? Yeah, I'm so resilient right from as soon as my period begins. That's it. Like I feel more resilient. I see it on my trackers, on my HRV. Like you just said there, you can manage with less sleep. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in the green on my whoop and everything. And then, yeah, yeah, it kind of shifts later on. But yeah, I love that. It's so fun to hear you say that because Mm. that is exactly how I have felt over the years. And a lot of women feel, but we never had a language to put to it. Mm. So, and I think that might be one of the reasons women are resonating with this book so much is because now they're finally like understanding themselves. So I love that. talking our language. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And then the other thing I I just want to point out about these 10 days is this is where you want to keep glucose and insulin low. So women that have PCOS, this is an emerging problem. Like it's the most common hormonal condition for cycling women. And um, you are going to want to keep insulin down in order to keep those symptoms of PCOS down. So you want to keep glucose down. This is a great time to go keto. This is a great time to, again, to push your workouts, to push a little longer fast, do it in those 10 days. 
That is super interesting because on my glucose tracker and I have PCOS, I was diagnosed with an insulin ah. resistance. So I've been like spent the last 20 years trying to manage it. And I noticed that I'm very sensitive. I have to work a bit harder to control my blood glucose at that time. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Crazy, right? Yeah, this just all lines up. It's amazing. I know. Like, like I when I looked at the science and then I matched the science of fasting to the menstrual cycle, and then I took that information, applied it to my patients, I just started to see trends. I started to see things working. Uh, with that first power phase, one interesting thing is a lot of my patients that were struggling to get pregnant for years, when I took them through what we're talking about right now, all of a sudden they would get pregnant. Because now you're living in accordance with what your hormones want. And those first 10 days, estrogen wants glucose and insulin low. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and so how do we go about getting glucose and insulin low? More fasting, more keto, more working out, you know, the aerobic type of working out. That's how we can manage glucose. And it's really, it's fascinating once you really dive into what the needs are of each one of these hormones. And we're stronger at that point, right? If I look oh. at my, when I'm like lifting the last few weeks, cause now I'm kind of just crossed that middle section. I was, I was moving up in my weights. And then when I went this morning, I was like, oh, it's just starting to feel a bit harder now. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Like it's just, yeah, it's like clockwork. It's amazing. Yeah. It's crazy. So, so then when we go into the, the ovulation window, I called it manifestation. And the reason I wanted to call it that is because I think as women, we have villainized our hormones forever. We're like, oh, I'm hormonal today. Um, and we haven't really embraced how these hormones really serve us. And when you look at day 11 to day 15, when an egg is going to be released, you have estrogen at her peak. She's the highest of the whole of your whole cycle. You have testosterone comes roaring in, highest at, of ever at, 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 at during your cycle. And then you have a little bit of progesterone. So what this means for you is during this strange little four day window is that you're going to notice you're mentally clear. Cause that's what estrogen gives mm. us that real clarity. You're also verbally like, I don't know if you've ever had this, maybe a, as a podcaster, you have those moments where you say something and you're like, Hey, that was that was actually pretty good. <laughs> I sounded intelligent. <laughs> yeah, I actually sound like Does I know what mean? I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. estrogen. She helps you with mental clarity. She gives you verbal processing and verbal skills. But then testosterone gives you motivation and drive. It get, does a lot more than just libido. And progesterone keeps you, you get a little bit of progesterone during this time. So it keeps you calm. So you, yes, you can manifest a baby if you want to during that time, but your creativity is at its height. Your ability to resolve conflict is at its best. You, you are literally in your hormonal glory during that time. So what lifestyle do we need to match to ovulation? And this is where the research says, keep fasting around 15 to 17 hours. Don't go crazy because you don't want to bring cortisol up too much because you've got progesterone there. And you should really focus more on foods. So you're going to want to bring your glucose up a little bit more, and you're going to want to focus on liver and gut health. Because one of the part of the conversation of hormones that is not being had is that there's many aspects to be able to use a hormone. You've got to produce it. You've got to be able to break it down. And then your cells have to be able to receive it. 
So there's three steps. Well, when we look at the manifestation phase, this ovulation window, we've got to go, okay, I now have all my hormones coming in. How am I going to support the breakdown and the use of those? And that we can do by switching our attention to the liver and the gut. I think if there was ever a time for us to get off alcohol, it would be during this manifestation phase because you need your liver to break down estrogen. To effectively detoxify the excess, right? Because for me, I noticed that this is where I can get breakouts in the middle here. That's right. And and if you do, that's a sign that you're you're not breaking it down as well. So your body's pushing it out through your skin. Yeah. So if you get breast tenderness, if you get bloated during that time, that's all a sign that your your body's struggling to break these hormones down. And do you so find that's, that's exacerbated in women like me with PCOS where you've got kind of higher androgens and yes, yeah, yeah. 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 So you would it would behoove you to focus a lot on those three P's that I talk about: the polyphenol, the probiotic, and the prebiotic foods. Um, and really support the liver with bitter foods, arugula, radicchio, um, dandelion greens. Those are that's what I want women to turn to in that manifestation phase, so we can break those hormones down. Food is a is going to be more of your tool than fasting during that that four day window, and then you're going to see that not only are you going to get rid of estrogen, clear it out of your system, so it doesn't you know, turn into cancers and it's also gets recycled out of you. Um, but you're also going to be able to move those into your cells a lot easier so that you can actually use them for what they were made for. Amazing. So, yeah, awesome. so that's, that's the manifestation phase. And then you come out of ovulation or manifestation and your hormones dip again. So the other thing that I really want women to understand is our, when the hormones come in, we have we have a certain set of behaviors and personalities that we can that we uh, no pun intended we flow with as as these hormones come in but then we have moments where the hormones drop and when the hormones drop we get a little bit like ugh like i don't feel so good and it could be mood it could be energy it could be sleep but coming out of like manifestation phase around day 16, we have another drop. And in those drops, you can help yourself by fasting a little more, going into a little more keto. So I called it the power phase two, because I felt like this is another time you can power up on longer fasts. You can power up on uh, more of your keto diet. It's a great time to go into more of those habits again. How have you found most people, most women are feeling during, because some women will say that they experience that drop, right? And they kind of feel a bit low. There's a blip kind of after ovulation. And other women are like, actually, I'm continuing to feel strong and they can train. And I'm curious what you found with with all the women you've worked with. And it's such, it's such a good point of all the phases that I mapped out in the book. That's the one that's the most variable. Yeah. So is that um, if you're struggling to clear estrogen, a lot of women will say they don't feel well in that in that coming out of ovulation, which is why I think focusing on the liver and the gut is important. So you're clearing that out. Mm. Um, women and it that could be have, different month to month, right? Then, so some women feel be, great yeah. one month and then the next month there. Yeah. 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 Uh, right. I mean, and this mm. is what again I'm so happy you pointed that out because 
these are the conversations we need to have because there's a lot of women that don't understand themselves. They're shaming themselves. They're frustrated with their hat, with why they can't lose weight. They're frustrated with why their moods are going off when in reality, there's a lifestyle that we need to match to all these different phases of our menstrual cycle. So, so yeah. So, so then, so we go past manifestation. Yeah, go on. Yeah. And so then you come happens? out of manifestation, the hormones drop, you can power up on your fast, you can power up on keto, but here's, here's the real like aha of the whole menstrual, menstrual cycle. And that's that at about day 20, day 19, I called it the nurture phase. Your body is building progesterone and everything has to change at this moment. So um, if you're looking at your HRV, you probably see your HRV go down at the week before your cycle. If you're looking at your glucose you, and you have a glucose monitor, you're probably noticing that your glucose is going up despite you're, you're, you're doing the same health habits you did the rest of your cycle. Well, there's a reason for this. Progesterone wants you to chill out. Progesterone wants you to not push the, your, your workouts. Don't push your diet habits. You don't push your social calendar. Don't, you know, you, this is a time, that's why I called it the nurture phase. This is the time we need to nurture ourselves. And when we push through that last week before our cycle, we end up coming into the beginning of our cycle with heavy cramping, uh, clots with our, um, our menstrual cycle. We struggle the first couple of days of our cycle mentally. All of that is because we didn't nurture ourselves the week before our period. Progesterone needs glucose higher. Progesterone needs uh, cortisol down. Uh, progesterone has a totally different way about her that we just aren't discussing enough. So in this phase, then, when we're looking at glucose, would we expect to see, like, if you're using a CGM, you'd expect to see it slightly higher? And would that not oh, be yeah. something to worry about? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many women freak out when they put yeah. CGMs on and they're like, wait a second, I'm doing the same thing, but glucose is going higher. And this is this is the thing to like, think about how amazing your body is, is that your body knows that it needs more glucose to be able to make progesterone. So during that week, it makes you more insulin resistant so that you can bring up glucose levels. You'll see that on your continuous glucose monitor. But what else does it do? It causes us to crave carbs. Mm. So how many of us have, have this insatiable hunger and carb craving before our cycle starts and we, and we bitch and moan about it. We're like, Oh, all I want to do is eat carbs. I can't fast. I don't really <laughs> feel like working out. Like yeah. I just want to stay home. I want to eat chocolate. Yeah. That's what progesterone is asking what you're you meant to, to be. Doing. <laughs> yes. And that's but okay. We, right. Like mm. it's freeing. Once you know that it's like crazy, it's crazy that we complain about that. But that's, that's literally what progesterone wants. She wants glucose higher. She wants cortisol low. She needs magnesium from chocolate. So she's giving you these signals and we've just been blowing through those signals. Mm. And then we get all these adverse symptoms. Like our cycle is really painful. We, you know, we feel really bloated or anxiety ensues. And we, and we don't realize that it's just because we went against progesterone's needs. 
And interestingly, food plays such a big part there. I just want to clarify with the glucose, because I know people will be freaking out. If they're wearing a CDM and it's going to go higher, what is an acceptable range before it's like, no, actually, do you know what? Now maybe you are just indulging in too many sweets and stuff. Where where can you expect it to be within that range? Uh, Kind of the beginning of the month versus the second half. Yeah, I think you'll see it go. What we the, the what we see in my community is it goes uh, about five to ten points higher. And this is in again American terms. It's American, isn't it? So yeah. Yeah. So like a fasting glucose is seventy to ninety milligrams per deciliter. I don't, I'm not sure the translation. Yeah, this um, would be like sort of four, four to five, four and a half that's to what, five. Yeah. yeah. So in your fasted state, you might see it, let's say you're at 4.0, you might see it go up to 4.1. And, and, and what typically, it's just a subtle increase. But what I'm watching women do is that they're like, wait a second, what did I do wrong? Why am, is my gl- fasting glucose so much higher? So it's in that fasted state, you'll see it just go up a little bit. And so in the, in the US equivalent, what would that be? It would, be- uh, so it would be like um, your fasting glucose would probably go to um, 95 or 100 in that fast, in, in your oh, okay. fast. Yeah. So that's probably, yeah, sort of nudging towards five for us. Okay. Yeah. We can look that up actually and put it in the show notes. Um, okay. So let's on that bit, because I think this is really important for perimenopausal women like myself. Yeah. This is where progesterone is going down. You're trying to manage the whole thing. And I yeah. always say when I've interviewed like yourself, Dr. Stacey Sims, all experts at this time, this decade in your 40s is quite a busy time, right, for women. They're, they've kind of excelled often in their careers. They've got children they're raising. They might have aging parents. There's so much going on. And so cortisol is naturally going up and it is through these hormonal changes. How can they optimize for progesterone? Is it going to be kind of showing this self-love, eating more carbs? Is that going to help to extend? Because a lot of women will complain, my cycle's really shortening now. You know, it used to be 28 days. Now it's kind of inching towards 23, 24, sometimes 21. And then they get the clotting, the heavy bleeding. Yeah, it's it's such a good conversation. And I'm smiling because I'm like, oh, my heart, to all the perimenopausal women out there, like, you know, my heart just goes out to you because I think when we go roaring into our forties, we don't realize what's about to hormonally change for us. Mm. So the first thing we have to realize for perimenopausal women is the lifestyle you did at 30 is not going to necessarily work for you at 40. The diet and exercise plan that kept you in great shape at 35 doesn't do this, have the same effect at 45. So what one of my big visions for women is that at 40, as we see that the ovaries are going into retirement, our sex hormones are going to kind of get a little wacky, that we start to look at our lifestyle differently. And, and I wrote a whole book on that. It'll, it'll come back out in June. It's called The Menopause Reset. And it's really five things that every woman should do after 40 to be able to flow, no pun intended, with, with the changes of, of their hormones. And so um, with that in mind, the biggest thing that perimenopausal women should know is that in the beginning stages of our 40s, our estrogen is going up and down. So what that means to us is that we're going to have days we feel completely normal and we're going to have days where we feel horrible. Um, and uh, when estrogen goes low, a couple of things happen, uh, hot flashes. So hot flashes is a dramatic drop of estrogen. 
Um, we're also going to see that our skin, our hair, uh, estrogen really uh, produces collagen. So we're going to see all of a sudden the wrinkles show up and the hair changes, our nails change. And so much of that is because estrogen is doing this up and down. We also are going to notice that estrogen at her peak, our, our brain is very mentally clear. We can handle a lot of stress. And then the next day, we can't handle stress at all because estrogen has dropped. And then outside of that, the biggest one that I think we're just not talking enough about is that as estrogen drops, you become more insulin resistant, which is why I feel like women over 40 really need to know how to fast. Mm -hmm. And the best way to, to do that is follow what we just said, the fasting cycle I just mapped out. The challenge is what happens if you have a 60 day cycle? And yeah. That is where it gets very nuanced and very individualized. And I can only share with you the way I did it through my perimenopausal years, which is when I, I tracked everything. So I had everything tracked on an app. And when all of a sudden it became day 35 and I didn't, and it didn't appear that my cycle was coming, I used my hunger as, as uh, insight into what I needed to do. So I'm pretty much one of those people that can eat my first meal about 12 or one o'clock when all of a sudden I was hungry at nine in the morning, my brain went, okay, progesterone, my, is, my body needs more progesterone to be able to, to shed. So I'm going to need to make sure that I switch over into a higher carb meal and bring down my fasting window. So there, there becomes a lot more of an art during that time if your cycle is, you know, every 60 days or some women is every two weeks. One of the many benefits of being part of my membership, the Female Biohacker Collective, is that you get to ask my special podcast guests your questions. And my members have the wonderful opportunity of asking Dr. Mindy Peltz their questions in relation to fasting, optimizing around the menstrual cycle, and perimenopause, and a whole lot more. If you'd like to be part of an amazing community of women and get your questions answered alongside monthly live masterclasses, biohacking toolkits, and live challenges with me and my team, then head over to www.femalebiohacker.com to learn more. That's www.femalebiohacker.com to learn more. Yeah, so when it's lengthening, I can kind of see that. What about women when they're getting this kind of, it's shortening a little bit? Because what I've noticed actually in that situation and with uh, women I work with is sometimes if they're pushing really, really hard, like they're going, they're doing an early morning fasted workout, then they're doing the school run. I've been guilty of this. I've walked the dogs. I've done all these different things and I haven't refueled post-workout. Actually, that seems to affect my cycle. Whereas if I actually make uh, intentionally then refuel post-workout somehow, yeah. and I've, I've noticed this with other women actually, then the cycle lengthens out again a little bit. And that's presumably to do with the progesterone because you're supporting it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, so I'm 53 right now and I swear I was going into menopause at 45. I started to get spotting. So the first thing to know is that if you're spotting, that is a clear sign that progesterone needs your help. So progesterone has to peak to a certain level in order for the whole uterine lining to shed. So when I started to spot, I made sure that I brought my glucose up. I didn't fast. 
I nurtured myself a lot more. And then I noticed that I went from like a week of spotting to maybe two days of spotting and then my period would come. So you can look at that as a, as, as, a, as a sign. We could also look at the continuous glucose monitor we talked about. You're mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, why is my glucose higher? Or HRV, why is HRV lower? These are all signs that progesterone is trying to show up. And so let's bring carbs up and let's bring fasting down. And then you'll see that, that the cycle starts. Now, if you're every two weeks, once you bleed, you go back to this idea, okay, bleeding's happening. So I need to bring estrogen back up now. So now I go into keto. Now I go into harder workouts. Now I go into more fasting. So I call it the personalities of these hormones. Mm. You got to like sort of read them a little bit different until someday I, 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 I keep hunting for the person who could create this. We got to have a CGM that tells hormones. Yeah, it'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be amazing. Yeah, but we yeah. don't have that yet. We don't have that yet. So we have to work with this. And what about yeah. um, hormone therapy alongside this? Is that something you yeah. recommend for women? Yeah, so here's my experience uh, in my community and with my own self with both HRT and BHRT is that it's not the cure-all. So what happens is that women um, end up going roaring into, did I lose you? Did I lose you for a moment? Just a second. Yeah, no, it stayed with me actually. Okay. Okay. Uh, Women go roaring into their forties. All of a sudden their moods go crazy. Their sleep goes crazy. They gain weight. And the first thing they think is, okay, I must be going into menopause let me go get some, some hormone therapy. And um, there is a massive learning curve with both bioidenticals and traditional HRT. It's not as simple as throwing a patch on and life changes. Hmm. And so the first thing is you've got to be very patient with yourself. You have to understand how to, the art of, of what hormone is going to work best for you. Uh, which, you know, which edition of which hormone is going to work best for you. Like I'll use myself as an example. Um, I tried going in with estrogen first, made me crazy, made me like literally mentally spin. I was like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Then I went into progesterone, made me cry all the time. And then I, I was like, okay, that's not working. And then I found my door into hormone therapy was through testosterone. And once I stabilized that, I could go back to the other two. But that took that took me working with several practitioners and understanding myself. So it's I'm I, I'm a fan of hormone therapy, but I also want you to understand that it made there's a learning curve for you, and there's no one size fits all. The other part of that conversation that I really really can't emphasize enough is you are going to still have to clean up your lifestyle. You still are going to have to learn how to fast like we're talking about. You're still going to need to learn how to go high carb and low carb. You're still going to need to work on repairing your microbiome. You may need to detox and you're going to have to learn how to how to not keep being that uh, rushing woman where you're just pushing, pushing, pushing all the time. And what's interesting on this, something I've been thinking a lot about lately is a conversation I had with Dr. Daniel Amen. Um, I brought him onto my 
podcast and I asked him, tell me, tell me why so many women are mentally suffering after 40. And what he said blew me away. He said, because we weren't, women weren't meant to live that long. I was like, what? (laughs) Whoa. What? But if you think about it, Mm. we're primal. Go back Mm. to the, to the primal days. We didn't live into our eighties and nineties, like we're doing right now. So when we look at that and we look at like Alzheimer's and dementia happening to more women than men, we have to start to realize that lifestyle is key. We have to switch our lifestyle in this modern world. We are pushing ourselves too much. So more mindfulness, more relaxation, more nurturing needs to happen as we move into those perimenopausal years. Otherwise, it's going to be, you're, you're going to really struggle and throwing a patch on you is not going to be the end all be all result that you're looking for. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And being so successful yourself and having gone through that, how have you juggled it? How have you given <laughs> yourself that time? Because yeah, you published two books, you've got amazing success, you've got a massive community, how, you know, you've got kids. How have you juggled it all? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and if all of my close friends were here right now, they'd be like, uh, we keep telling her. Um, so one thing that I've done is just give myself a lot more grace. So, you know, the 30 year old version of me was hard on myself and um, really pushed myself to be able to perform and build the career that I've built. The 53 year old version of me allows myself more downtime, gives myself more grace when it comes to a, I made a mistake or I didn't show up in a certain way. So a lot of it is in my self-talk. The second thing is I totally reorganized my day. So I used to get up in the morning and just bolt out of the door, go to my office, work a 10 hour day. Now I actually get up, I meditate, I spend time in gratitude. I have a hyperbaric oxygen chamber in my house. I go into my chamber. I really take the first two days as me time or first two hours as me time. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the other thing I would say is that I've learned to lean in. You know, I loved keto for so long in my 40s. I'm now embracing carbs and doing a lot more carb loading. And I'm finding that that's helping a lot. So I've really just given myself, and and if I don't feel like working out, oh my God, my workouts have dramatically changed. I, you know, I was a competitive tennis player in my uh, late teens and early twenties, I played on a, a, a collegiate, collegiate tennis. And I was constantly that woman who pushed through all the time. Every workout was incredibly hard. Oh, my workouts now are like weightlifting, walking, and yoga. And I've really switched that, you know, that need to always be working out at an extreme. I don't do that anymore. So I just, I just keep reminding myself that more nurturing is going to hormonally help me a lot more. For sure. And I love what you said about the mental piece and giving yourself more grace because, you know, we've done kind of six rounds in the boxing ring, most women before you've left the house, right? It's That's right. And we're doing it to ourselves. So that's right. The other thing I've found is, you know, and I've seen this literally move my HRV using a tracker in real time is micro habits make a difference. If you do five (sighs) minutes of breath work, one minute, it still makes a difference. It doesn't have to be a whole like yoga class or something like that, does it? You can kind of weave them in. 
You just nailed my next book. That is exactly what my next book I'm currently writing is about what happens to the female brain after 40. So the menopause reset was really about the brain and the body. And here's the lifestyle you should change. You, you can, you can lean into this next book is going to be exactly that micro habits. How do we, when all of a sudden we're anxious, realize that it's not the people around us. It's not our husband. It's not work. It's not our kids. It's not the aging parents, even though all of that plays into it, but we can sit down and do a five to 10 minute breath work session and we can start to neurochemically change ourselves so we can show up better. Or I've even had moments where anxiety peaks and I go garden, I get my hands in dirt and I get sun on my body and I do it for a half hour. And all of a sudden I can feel myself shift. So amazing nature. I, yeah. I think, yeah, nature is amazing. I think one of the things we don't give enough hormonal credit to is our lifestyle. We just haven't really looked at our lifestyle as a healing tool for our neurochemical system. And that's what I'm trying to change for the world. Oh, amazing. I can't wait for the next book. It's, it's funny you say that because, you know, everyone always thinks I need a device or an app to do something. And the other yeah. day I was, I just went outside in the, in the morning, the sun was coming up and I was doing some breath work with nothing. And you can hear the birds and just hearing the birds is such a different experience than when you try and do something guided. And I think, yeah, we yes. just kind of need to go back to life how it was almost. Yeah. Um, I love that. I, I was recently, we were on, uh, I took, uh, about two and a half weeks and went to uh, Kauai and just, we, we got a really nice Airbnb that looked out over the ocean, my husband and I, and I, I literally made myself, I know that sounds like, oh, well that, that ha couldn't have been that torturous, but I made myself for hours, just sit on the deck and watch the waves. And the idea for me was I had been on this book tour and it was like, you need to calm your nervous system down. You need to rebalance your whole, whole neurochemical system. So sit here, look at nature, stop doing. And I think as we get over 40, we need more moments like that. And, and, and what often happens in those 40s, to your point, is we, the responsibilities are huge. We have the aging parents. We have the kids that are maybe teenagers, or maybe they're going off to school and the stress goes up, but we don't change our lifestyle to meet the demands of that stress. And now we have a worse menopause experience than need be. Mm, yeah, such a good point. Um, I have some questions from my community. Before we get there, you talked about carb loading. You're having, you're not wedded to keto. You're doing some more carb loading. Can you just clarify that? Is that for women post-menopause? Is that like how, obviously you've mentioned more carbs in the second phase of the cycle towards the end. Can you kind of clarify how carbs play a part? Because I think so many women fear the carbs, right? Yeah. Well, so the first thing to know is that if you're a cycling woman, ovulation or what we call, what I called manifestation week before your period, or what I called nurture, those are great times to lean into more carbs. So if you have a cycle, the, track it, bring your carb load up. For me, that means somewhere between 100 and 200 net grams of net carbs. So when you look at net, understand that's total carbs minus the fiber. So that's a lot of carbs if you're that eating fruits, fruits and vegetables. If you're eating cakes and pastas and cookies, that's not that many carbs. 
So be smart about what carbs you're, you're, you're using. Um, and I like it during those times just to bring those, that carb level up. I think the carbs that really work well for hormones, my favorite one is a sweet potato. Mm, uh, sweet potato, right? It's like my favorite Amazing. sweet potatoes, squashes, but also tropical fruits, citrus fruits, legumes. These are great when those hormones are high. So that's when I say high carb, I don't, I don't mean sit on the couch and then eat a box of pizza and a tub of ice cream. I mean, lean into what nature has provided you so that you can make the hormones that you need or help those hormones in those moments. Now, where I am now, 53, I'm seven months without a period. So I'm moving into that postmenopausal phase. So I just have to really read my, my signals. And when I bring carbs up is usually when I'm not sleeping well. So the next day I'll, I'll bring the nature's carbs up. Um, if all of a sudden I get a lot of aches and pains, because as progesterone goes away, you can have a lot more musculoskeletal pain um, and then anxiety. So when all of a sudden, and, and the anxiety that happens in perimenopause and menopause is not like mental anxiety as much. It sometimes is body anxiety mm. where Rapid you're sitting, heart rate and things like that. Yeah. Heart yeah. rate pounding, sitting on the couch and you're like, I need to go do something. I shouldn't be sitting here. That's where bringing carbs can coming up. Now I'll share with, with you something that I just discovered this week in researching for my next book. Maybe. So that's super interesting is that carbs, when they go up, they actually help make serotonin. So, and you need more serotonin because as you lose estrogen, serotonin is a precursor or estrogen is a precursor for making serotonin. And so a st couple studies I found and we're experimenting on it in my community. And I would encourage anybody listening to experiment with this is that your protein is best had in the middle of the day and the carbs are best at the end of the day. And the reason for that is carbs will take a precursor called tryptophan. And tryptophan is found in a lot of meats. We know it from like, well, here in America, we know it from Thanksgiving and Turkey. Everybody goes, oh, I'm so tired after that. But tryptophan will convert into serotonin. So if you have uh, um, meats earlier in the day, and then at the end of the day, you have carbs, those carbs will actually take tryptophan and escort it into the brain and convert it into serotonin. It acts like so, a taxi, doesn't it? And sort of shuttles it across. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like a taxi. Exactly. Mm. It totally shuttles it across. But what this is a big premise of the next book is that as we lose these hormones, we don't need to lose the neurotransmitters. But estrogen is a precursor for serotonin and, and dopamine. And progesterone is a precursor for GABA. So one of the things as we get deeper into menopause, we need to think about is what, what tools do we have to be able to keep those neurotransmitters up so we don't go into a really dark menopausal or mood state. So, yeah. And that's just important, right? Because that serotonin gets moved into melatonin and helps you sleep as well. That's right. And a lot of women can't sleep, right? So, That's right. But would you have the protein as well, like alongside, so like protein and carbs, for example, in your evening meal and, and the, put them together or? 
So again, this is like hot off the press and I'm experimenting. So have your community experiment. It's literally several studies I found that carbs alone give the highest serotonin lift. Carbs with protein give a little less. Uh, Carbs with fat give a little less. Protein by itself gives no serotonin lift. Fat by itself gives no serotonin lift. So what I see as the right mechanism is carb or protein earlier in the day, carbs later in the day um, by themselves. And that the way you would look at that is that would be a serotonin lifting day. If it works for you and you want to do it every day, great. But the way I look at it is if all of a sudden you're depressed, you're anxious, throw a serotonin lifting day in there where you're doing the protein at lunch and then you're doing the carbs at dinner, keep them separated. Awesome. And these would be, again, the whole food, fiber sources of carbs. Right. So we're not kind of spiking. There's <laughs> not a reason to go and get a tub of ice cream. That's right. That's <laughs> what I sure really, everyone knows otherwise, that, but we'll yeah. just clarify. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise you're going to make yourself more insulin resistant. You're going to have a whole host of problems. Yeah. So yes, thank you for pointing that out. And what about post-workout? Do you think we should be refueling once we yes. say we've done a strength session? hit session, what happens there? Do you break the fast and refuel? Yes. I think especially women over 40, um, because you have to fight for more muscle when you break your, your when you, when you are post-workout uh, meal immediately following a workout should be protein. And it needs to at least be 30 grams of protein because that stimulates amino acid receptor sites that will help the, the muscle grow stronger. So I, I think you know, we, we got in the workout world, we got really obsessed with carbohydrates. I think we need to become obsessed with protein and that protein's what's going to help us build muscle, not just the act of lifting weights builds muscle, but the act of bringing protein into your diet will build muscle. Yeah. And that 30 grams is essential, isn't it? To stimulate. Yeah. Um, I love that you said that because I'm always banging on about it. I think the people get yeah. bored of me. Um, so I have some some questions here. Question from Lauren. She's asking, how do we understand the balance of fasting with the issue of sarcopenia? So losing days of protein intake to stimulate autophagy. What's the situation there? How can we kind of maximize the benefits of both and minimize any downside? So the formula that I've seen for sarcopenia that I think is, well, there's two formulas that is really great is that you go into your weight workout, your heavy weights in a fasted state. Now I know Stacy Sims disagrees with this idea, but this is what I've seen work in my community across thousands of women is go and lift weights in a fasted state. Now, the reason that I say this is because you want muscle, when you're lifting weights, you're breaking muscle down. If you go in in a fasted state, you're getting rid of the glucose in that muscle. And the weightlifting is there to force the muscle to grow stronger. So even though you're breaking it down, it will rebuild itself stronger. That's the whole purpose. That's why you're sore. That's Mm -hmm. the whole purpose of weightlifting. Then immediately following that, you want to make sure you get somewhere between 30 to 90 grams of protein in your post-workout meal. Now, if you take it one step further, the research shows that now, once you've opened up your eating window, if you're doing every two hours, another 30 grams of protein, and then uh, two hours later, another 30 grams of protein, then you're actually starting to build the muscle stronger. And it's it's a cellular process called mTOR. So if you don't want sarcopenia as you age, 
A, stop doing chronic cardio and turn to weightlifting. B, make sure that you're going in, your, your post-recovery meal is a high protein meal. And then C, could you look at every couple of hours really increasing or giving yourself another 30 gram dose of protein? That's how you're going to start to build muscle. And what about if you're doing the fast? I think what she's worried about here, because I know she works out a lot, is if she's doing, say, a three-day fast, for example, does she need to worry about the fact that she's not having any protein for 72 hours? No. And if you're doing three-day, don't be work, don't be working out. So you could go for gentle walks, but don't stress your body in, in, um, and by working out hard. But what we see is that, yes, in 30 days, it's going to appear as if your protein has, or as if your muscle is shrinking, but all that, think of it as a muscle detox, your muscles, just getting rid of all the stored sugar and make, you're making your muscles more efficient. So when you reintroduce food, you're going to want to make sure you do one of two things. One is this, make sure every meal you're getting between 30 and 90 grams of protein and then make sure that you're eating enough protein. And I like a pound to a pound and a half of protein, or a, a, a gram to a gram a, a half of protein for every pound of body weight you wanna be. So, so not 90 grams in one sitting, when you say 30 to 90, yeah, you mean like dosed. So 30 and then 30 again later? Yeah, the, the research says that um, if you go over 90 grams of protein um, in one meal, uh, it, it'll now turn to glucose and that's going to turn to fat. So I like to keep women between 30 and 90. You can go more than 30 if you want, but a lot of women aren't even getting to 30 grams in one meal. Yeah. Yeah. 90. I didn't realize you could go up to 90 without it turning. That yeah. does seem a lot. Um, yeah. I've been doing fasting a lot and uh, I was doing 36, 72 hour fast every few weeks for about five months. Then I did a hundred hour one and coming off, I had a real issue with hair loss, anxiety and burnout. And when I did my Dutch test, my hormones were on the low readings. What's apart from testosterone, what can I do to kind of reset? I mean, this is, this was the whole premise of the book was you got to yeah. know, make sure you're, I don't know what age she is, but she's got to make sure that she's fasting at the right time of her cycle. That, that scenario actually was, was me in my mid forties when I discovered all this is I loved keto. I loved fasting. I just did it all month long. And then hair started to thin. I lost my cycle. Anxiety went up. And I realized that I wasn't supposed to do it all month long. So make sure that you're pulsing those fasts in and out. Now, the hair loss and like heart palpitations, one of the interesting things I've noticed just in watching now, like millions of women do this is that we're a mineral and it's actually people. It's not just women. It's men too. We are a mineral deficient world. And a large part of that is because our soils, especially here in America, our soils are so deficient of nutrients. So like they say that the broccoli you eat today has like 10 times less nutritional value than the broccoli you ate 20, 30 years ago because of how depleted these soils are. So when we go into a fasted state, when the heart's palpitating, when the hair is falling out, that's just a sign you're incredibly mineral deficient. So make sure that you're bringing minerals back in uh, when you eat, 
or in a fasted state, you could do a minerals. You could do like an electrolyte powder, as long as it doesn't have stevia or anything in it, that will help to bring the minerals up while you're fasting. Yeah, I found that actually. And it's interesting, isn't it? Even like, despite eating Brazil nuts and things like that, my selenium was really low when I did hair mineral tissue yeah. testing, my potassium, and that affects heart rhythm as well, alongside magnesium, oh, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We Big have Barton time. on the show and yeah, it was super oh, interesting yeah. all about minerals. Yeah, Barton Scott. Um, so another question from Amalia, she's asking, uh, as a menopause, post-menopausal woman, how can I use fasting with my, with the lunar phase? Uh, yes. she says, please tell her I'm spreading the love of her latest podcast to all the young women. I know my daughter is 25 years old. Thank you for the opportunity to ask Dr. Mindy a question. So, oh my gosh. I love that. And, and all, yeah, that's amazing. And all my post-menopausal women out there, I, I, what I love and I, and I hear it in the comments, I've hear it when I'm at conferences is that they're teaching their daughters this, that's mm. how we're going to change. I'm going to be teaching mine. Yeah. For sure. It's just, it's just how we change the, the, the health problems that the 20 and 30 year olds are getting, I'm, I'm blown away when fast, like a girl came out, how many 20 and 30 year olds don't have a cycle? How many of them are, are not able to get pregnant? I mean, it is a huge problem. So that, so thank you for teaching the younger generation. Cause that's what we really need to do. Now to answer her lunar question, I'll try to make it as simple as I can. The first thing to understand is that as humans, we are very in sync with nature. And I know we like think of this as woo woo and, you know, all the grounding, like everybody's going out and walking on the ground barefoot. Like we tend to think of this as extreme. It's not extreme. We have completely lost connection with the earth and with nature as a healing tool. So for my menopausal women, what I'm trying to do is help us bring our connection to the earth back because it's going, we don't have anything else to map to. And when we look at the lunar cycle for most, if we went back to the primal days, if we had some kind of a record of history, we would be able to see that most women started their period on a new moon. And most women actually had ovulated at the full moon. So I like, I have on my, on my phone, um, uh, an app that tells me where the moon is. And when the moon is new, then I go into those first 10 days. I fast more, I go keto. Then I, at, you know, as we're, I'm approaching the full moon, you know, the day 11, day 12 of the, of the moon of the lunar cycle, now I bring my carbohydrate level up. And then as the moon is waning and I'm going into the back half, especially when I'm like, when there's a, when it's about, you know, seven days from the new moon starting again, I look at that as the time that progesterone needs to be built. And I go in and I start doing the principles of, of progesterone. So I love that. Cause really you know, cool. one of the things I was thinking, what, when I just lose all my cycle, like, do I lose that kind of femininity and that touch? I love that. That's exactly yeah. what I'm going to do yeah. in the years to come. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank it's, you for sharing that. Yeah. It's, it's been really fun. I, you know, the first time I said it, I thought everybody would be like, you're crazy. And then when I dove into blue light, you know, part of why we don't all cycle together is because of our exposure to blue light. Whereas if you go back to the primal days, 
we didn't have that exposure. And so women were more in sync with the, with what, with the lunar cycle. So we're just taking this ancient healing strategy and this ancient tool, and we're bringing it to the modern world. It's really cool. Perfect. Very cool. Um, and then a couple of questions around adrenal uh, function and fasting, but I think you cover that really well between the two books in terms of cycling around the menstrual cycle in Fast Like a Girl and then the menopause reset, which you say is re- relaunching in a few months time. Yeah. It uh, So Hay House bought it. And then I added a sleep chapter, which is amazing. Like literally all my hacks for sleep we put in there. And so it'll come back out in June. Um, so yeah. So between those two books, hopefully now this is why the third book is needed because the mental health of women mm-hmm. over 40 needs to be discussed a little deeper, but my hope is then it'll be a trilogy that women can use to sort of understand wherever they are, how they can adapt their lifestyle. My, my yeah. passion is let's use our lifestyle as a healing tool. Let's stop suffering. Let's stop thinking medications are only solution. Let's get back to mm-hmm. our lifestyle. That's how we heal ourselves. I agree. Always start that. Um, one last question. 511 used to talk about it on your YouTube channels. Um, and that was, she didn't see it in the book. Marty didn't see that in Fast Like a Girl. Do you yeah. still advocate that for postmenopausal women? I think it's because this was a different book, right? It's for yeah, it, yeah. And it just got too confusing. So, I mean, uh, teaching this in general is can be confusing. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, hang with it. You'll understand it. So I just didn't put the 511 in there because I was like, eh, I don't want to, I don't want to confuse everybody. But what the 511 is a really good, if you don't want to map to the lunar cycle for the postmenopausal woman, 511 is phenomenal. And that's where five days a week, you intermittent fast at whatever your comfort level is. So 15, 17 hours, whatever feels like effortless to you. One day a week, I want you to stretch your fast. And the reason for that is we want to apply a little bit of a hormetic stressor on your body so it can build itself stronger. Hormetic stressors are just the, just a good stress, just a little bit of a stress. So you might go set, you know, 18, 19, 24 hours. Women that are struggling to lose weight, you may throw a 36-hour fast in there to try to unstick that weight. And then one day a week, you don't want to fast. You want to, you want to bring glucose up. You want to mind progesterone. And I found that that weekly schedule works really well for post-menopausal women. So two choices, 511 or the lunar, or just change That's between right. the two. That's Thank right. you so much. I mean, we're reading Fast Like a Girl as my biohacking book club in oh, my membership. So everyone there has the coffee. We're sharing it. We're studying it. Thank you so much for coming on. But where can people find you? I think everyone needs to go and buy Fast Like a Girl. That would be my recommendation. And I can't wait for the third book. Um, But please share, where can people come and connect with you, Dr. Mindy? Uh, You can go to my website uh, and everything's there. I I always say that my passion project is YouTube. This is where I kind of bring my new science and the new things that I'm doing. Um, I have a podcast where I love having really good discussions with people. um, And then I tie it always into hormones. So yeah, you get, and if you forget all that, just go to Dr. Mindy Pels, but I'm kind of everywhere right now. So uh, dive in. Wow. There's, a, there's a world of information there. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. Um, it's been such a pleasure and you've said so much. Thanks again. Thank you, Angela. Appreciate you. 
Thank you for listening to today's show and for your interest in health optimization for high performance. If you're new to my podcast, you may be interested to know that you can get a free health score and report complete with personalized recommendations on how to optimize your sleep, nutrition, fitness, and resilience in the top link in the show notes below. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Links to everything we talked about are also in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe for more.